I'll use this and I'll try to stay in one spot for a little while. Maybe difficult. Hope they get it fixed soon. We've been making our way through Ephesians to the section that is called the armor of God and just looking at each piece and we're going to continue walking through that this morning. I'm entitling each of these messages. The whole series is Walk as Children of Light. That's been the study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, This uh, sort of subsection I'm entitling to stand firm because that's the goal. The goal is that we are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We're to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil when, when all is done to stand firm, to be standing in that day. You'll recall that as we set this up, I gave you a picture of what it looks like to be in some kind of hand-to-hand combat. Now, we're not in hand-to-hand combat against a, a physical adversary, so it's not like we're actually wrestling uh, physically with someone. Do I need to change battery packs? But we are wrestling against an unseen enemy, one who is... Uh, who has incredible power, who has incredible uh, ability to distract us and to, uh, and to sway us and to bring fear into our lives and to uh, bring all kinds of things that will distract us and, and, and move us off the track of what, what God has established on. Am I coming through here now? Good job. Okay, here we go. You know, microphones have nothing because I'll just shout louder if that's what it takes. I'll walk down there and I'll just shout at you guys from down there. I don't mean to shout at you, but you know what I'm trying to say. We are to stand firm against those attacks because the enemy is very real and he's very powerful. You know, just in the things that were talked about today up here in sharing time, I can tell you that associated with every one of those scenarios where there was some kind of Uh, In most cases, some kind of physical thing going on, I can tell you that there is a whole bunch of stuff going on spiritually. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes. That's the real issue. We're worried about tumors. We're worried about sickness. We're worried about all kinds of stuff. We're worried about what people think about us. We're worried about people's approval. But behind all of those things is the enemy. He's, He's the one that's knocking there and and getting us to think things and making sure he's, getting, he's, he's attaching or trying to attack the things where our hearts are at, right? We talked about our heart a whole bunch last week. And if anything, all those things reveal. And I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the seats with you. But if anything, all those things reveal where our hearts are really at. Because it's the things that shake us that tell us, oh, my heart's not quite in the right place yet. Because this still touches me. And today is the message that I have been eagerly anticipating. We've watched Paul, begin with the belt of truth, right? He's going to tie it all together and say, if we don't start with the truth, then we have nowhere left to go. We have, no, we have no armor left to talk about if we don't start with truth. And then we went to the next important piece, which is the breastplate of righteousness, because our heart has to be protected. I'm continuing just to let that phrase run through my head that, that, uh, that came to me uh, preparing for last week, and then I said it last week, but I still stand by it. it, It's sort of almost grown in its importance that if the heart, if we lose the heart, then nothing else matters, right? If if the heart is not protected, now I'm doing this because it's like a physical word picture, but we're not talking about our physical beating heart. We're talking about our souls. If it's gone, if it's lost, it doesn't matter what what else we have. 
And then I think that, that Paul very intentionally by the Holy Spirit's inspiration is going to move to the very next place. That the place that we have uh, that, that is for us to see what is really the ground that we have to stand on. And that's why he goes to our feet. So today we have one verse. He said, I'm just going to back up to verse 14 because that's where the sentence starts. He said that we should stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, that's where we began, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that was last week, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is kind of an interesting phrase. We're supposed to have as shoes the readiness that's given to us by the gospel of peace. Now, as with the other ones, there's, there's a physical picture that Paul is trying to draw. But today, before we get to that physical picture, I want to talk about that word readiness. So we're going to jump in with this word here. Again, on the back side of your bulletin, there's a handout if you care to follow along. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. Readiness. There's some kind of readiness. But what's Paul really talking about here? Well, the Greek word that's used here is the word hetoimasia. Now, believe it or not, this word, and you may not care about this at all, but this word is actually only used one time in the entire New Testament. Of course, here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, because that's what we read this morning. But the word that it is based on is used a lot more. That word I'm going to put up there for you, it's the word hetoimadzo. It's a verb. It means to prepare or to make ready. So picture this, if you want a word to kind of track it to or a scripture or a, a, a picture to attach to that. Picture Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, I want you to go into the city and prepare a table for us so that we can have a, a meal together. We call it the Last Supper, but it was part of a Jewish festival, a feast that they were participating in. He said, I want you to prepare a table. And they went and did that. That's the word hetomadzo, to prepare or to make ready. But that's only going to start getting us into this because in, in the Hellenistic Greek that they would have used at that day, that word actually carried another implication. It carried this implication. It is an establishment or a firm foundation. And now we begin to see what Paul is driving us towards. He says, for your shoes, I want you to have a readiness or an, I want you to be established or I want you to have a firm foundation that's given by the gospel of peace. Now, on that day, I'm suggesting that most everyone would have immediately, as they're thinking about these pieces of armor that Paul is walking through, would have immediately thought of the shoes that were worn by the common Roman soldiers. They're called caligae in Latin. A caligae looks like this. And I don't know how well you can see that picture, but it's a sandal, and it's something that the Romans began to do. Um, now, there may have been some other people that did too, but the Romans are the first ones that we really know because we have archaeological, archaeological evidence that they wore these shoes, and these are, the, these are the soldiers in the trenches. Now, remember, most of warfare during those days was not long-range, like, firing at each other. There was, they had archery and stuff like that. But much of the work of a battle happened very up close, very hand-to-hand-like. And so these shoes, if you could see the bottom of that shoe, I don't know how well you can see it, but they took those shoes and they put little hobnails or little nubbins or some spikes on the, all along the bottom of that plate. And it was meant so that when they entered into this combat, they could put their feet down and they had a place to stand that wasn't going to slip. Because that's really important, right? When you're engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat, the last thing you want to have happen when there's swords flying through the air and spears being thrust at you is for your foot to slip. That could be a catastrophic a disaster, right? That could mean life or death, actually. Now, this is the picture that Paul is driving us to. He says there is a readiness 
that comes from the gospel of peace that gives you a firm footing. That as you're engaged in this battle that allows you to say, my feet are fixed and they won't slide. They won't slip. Here's the pieces of armor. You put on the belt of truth. You have to begin there because you have to know that what God says about himself is right and about us is right and about our relationship with him and what he's done for us and what he wants from us and all those things, all that's contained in the Bible here, all those things are true. That's the beginning point. And then you say, I have to protect my heart. I have to have the breastplate of righteousness. I must be justified with God. And by the way, the next important piece that gives you the ability to stand firm in this fight against the schemes of the devil are these shoes, that, this, this footwear that gives you the ability to plant your feet and say, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. This readiness, this is what Paul is driving at. Look, he's already mentioned it. If you go back and look at Ephesians chapter 4, in this wonderful text that we came to, he says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and they're meant to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says that building up should happen until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. And he finally ends up with this conclusion. He says, so that so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning look at the word he uses by craftiness in deceitful schemes look at that he uses the exact same word deceitful schemes same word same mode of operation that the devil uses that we're to stand against so he's connecting these things together he's saying this is what's supposed to happen in the church the church is to help each other put on these shoes that give them a grip that says, I won't be moved. When the enemy attacks, I won't be moved. My foot won't slip. That's the vision he has. That's the goal he has. That, that's, the, that's what he's thrusting and driving towards for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just, if you'll permit me, one little side one little side statement. I'm just going to clear that up there. One little side statement. There is actually another word in the Greek that shows up in the, in the New Testament quite a bit that means to prepare thoroughly. So it could mean the same thing. It's the word kataskiwadzo, which you don't need to know that word. But you might think that would be a better choice of word because that is, it means it's a more, a more thorough preparation. However, it's a more thorough preparation based on equipping yourself outwardly. So if we were actually talking about pieces of armor, if we were actually talking about literal shoes and literal breastplates and literal belts and things like that, then I have no doubt that Paul would have used the word katasquiazo because we should thoroughly prepare ourselves by equipping ourselves outwardly. But that's not what he's talking about, is it? That's why I love the detail, the, the specificity that God's Holy Spirit put into the Bible is that he's not talking because the word hetoimadzo carries more the idea of an internal fitness, an internal readiness, an internal footing that we're standing on, not external. You, Paul's not talking about shoes, right? He's not actually talking about shoes. I mean, he's talking about shoes, but he's not actually talking about shoes. That's not what he's interested in. He could care less what you put on your feet. But he wants us to be grounded in something. He wants us to have a readiness based on something, and it's that something that we got to spend the rest of today talking about because there's a readiness given to us by the gospel of peace. 
So I think what's left for us to do today, well, there's gonna be a couple things left, but for sure what's left for us to do today is to say, if Paul says that the thing that we're gonna be able to put our feet down and say, I'm not gonna be moved by this, if that thing is the gospel of peace, then I better figure out what that is. Because lots of times, and maybe you, I don't know if you're willing to admit this this morning, but lots of times in my life, it actually turns out that my feet are rather slippery, if you get what I'm trying to say. It turns out my feet are rather slippery sometimes. That when the enemy comes and I begin to say, ah, yeah, well, it looks a little different to me. And I use this line all the time in, in here. Like, well, I, I justify my own actions because my situation's a little different. And so I, I, can, I, can, I can squeeze out of a little bit what God wants me to do. And that's my feet slipping. <laughs> that's the enemy's schemes coming and saying, ah, well, maybe I'll retreat just a bit. Or maybe I'll slip to the side just a bit. Or maybe I'll try to evade just a bit. So what is this gospel of peace that brings us this great readiness? Well, I would tell you, actually, Paul's already answered that. I think rather than think of this as some kind of, like, gospel, capital G, like he's talking about some other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ that we refer to, he's simply saying there's good news. You know what that's the word gospel means, right? There's good news of peace, and he's already actually told us. If you would flip back in your Bible, and I want you to turn there because I want you to read this with me. I'm, uh, it's a little lengthier section. It's a review because we covered this a uh, number of months ago, but we covered this. Back in chapter two, when Paul was still in the middle of what I call the theology section of Ephesians, and he was talking to us about what he believes and what we ought to believe and what, what kind of things ground us as we respond to, to being in Christ, here's what he wrote. This is chapter two. I'm gonna start in verse 11. We really love the verses, the first 10 verses of chapter 2, the great, incredible verses. But in chapter, uh, in, starting in verse 11 and the rest of the chapter here, Paul, I think, gives us what he's referring to when he says this gospel of peace. Let's just read it together. Paul said, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, if you were not Jewish but are Gentile in the flesh, which is most of us, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, when you were still a Gentile, at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's not a very good opening line. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he goes on to say these wonderful things. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. By that he means the Gentiles and the Jews. For Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul here masterfully 
masterfully reveals the mystery of the gospel that he refers to so often in his letters. The mystery of the gospel is this, and we're all the beneficiaries of it. It's this simply, is that when God sent Jesus, he was not just redeeming the people of Israel, his chosen people. He said in Jesus Christ, he has made it so that all can come together with each other and be made one with God. Let me just point out a couple of key phrases there to put it up on the verse here. This is the gospel of peace I believe Paul is talking about. That Jesus himself is our peace. Read that. Hear that. Receive that. I've told you, every piece of armor we talked about is in Christ. When we're in Christ, we have the armor on. When we're not in Christ, we don't. doesn't matter what other things we think we're doing. When we're in Christ, we have the armor. When we're not in Christ, we don't have the armor. He himself is our peace. If you want to know the gospel peace, you must know Jesus. You must be in Jesus. For he himself is our peace who's made us both one. And again, he's referring at this point, he's referring to Gentiles and Jews. No longer do we have chosen people and the, 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 the Gentiles, the, the, the barbarians. We don't have the, we, we have been made one in Jesus and together the two are reconciled both to God in one body through the cross. Let me just paraphrase or say it again for you. In Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to both be made at peace with God. By the way, the word peace, the word peace, irony in, in Greek, it really just means to join. It means to join. So that's what peace really is. Peace is being joined. Think about it. It, it. it works out in all kinds of contexts, but to, to, to have peace is to be joined. So through Jesus, we have first and foremost the opportunity to have peace with God, to be joined with God, and peace with each other. There is no longer a wall of hostility between those that are in and those that are out. I'm going to tell you, I think this is exactly what... Uh, Josh and Heidi were talking about with our allegiance. It's exactly what Paul was talking about when he says there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. There's, a, there's an allegiance that supersedes our allegiance to anything else, to our ethnicity, to our color, to our nationality, to our, you name it, our family, our bloodline, our, our like physical bloodline, all those things. There is an allegiance that supersedes all of those allegiances. It's our allegiance to Christ. But through that, I will tell you, is our allegiance to others who are Christ's. That's how it is. It's hard for us to work that out sometimes, but that's the truth. That's exactly what these verses say. And I'm telling you this morning, it's exactly the firm foundation that you and I have to stand on, this gospel of peace, that I am joined to God and I'm joined to my brothers and sisters. Look at some of the words that Paul has used in, in, in this. And we talked about some of these when we came there, but I'm just going to bring them up again because I want you to see the words of peace that are being used. He says, we are fellow citizens. We are fellow citizens. We are, we, we are co-citizens. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're co-citizens. We are members of the household of God. That's with each other. We're members... And with God, we're members. We are joined together. We are being built together. It's like Paul was trying to find every single word he could possibly find to get it through our thick skulls that we are part of each other. And we ought to be that way because we've been made at peace with God, thus with each other. Let me say this, and this may be the thing that gets difficult for us to work out. It probably depends on a bit on where some of our theology comes out or where we, how we interpret certain things. But 
Um, I think I can, without a doubt this morning, I want, I want you to hear me when I say this, and I am certainly always open to talking about things like this, but uh, I, I think I can say, stand up here and without a doubt this morning tell you unequivocally, based on the scriptures I just read, that those who are brothers and sisters, though they may look some kind, sometimes different from us or they may act sometimes different from us, those who are brothers and sisters, we absolutely must consider ourselves one with them. Immovable. You know, let me make this comment before I go on with what I was going to say. I think sometimes it's a whole lot easier to do that with people who are dramatically different. Like if you would go over to Africa somewhere and you would meet brothers and sisters or India, which we've had some people here that have the privilege of having done that. They do things very differently than us. They have some different practices, some different beliefs, some different cultural things they do. But we largely accept them because they're from somewhere else. I think it gets a lot harder actually when they get a little closer, right? Because they're just about like us, but not quite. But if that's not dangerous enough territory, dangerous enough territory, let me just say that I think in some context when Christ died, again, this depends a bit on your theology, but when Christ died, I believe that he died for everyone. Which means his redemption and the tearing down of that wall of hostility was for everyone. They may not have all received that yet, they may still be completely unregenerate and they may still be completely thumbing their nose at God and hating him, but it ought to still affect how much I see that I'm part of them, that I'm part, that there's, some, that there's more, that they're, they're God's creation just like I am and re, Jesus' redemption is offered them just like it was to me and I better be very careful how I think and treat and talk about them. The only other reason I say that is because this was not part of my message this morning. It could have been, and I, you can thank me later. I chose not to make the message a lot longer by doing this. But there's a really significant part of the shoes of the gospel of peace that you could go on an entirely evangelistic study of Scripture and talk about how those shoes are actually involved in evangelism and bringing the good news to people. And that's the people who are unsaved. And I think there's no mis- there's, there's not an accident that those two things are brought together, right? That, that's the same subject. So while you may freely agree with me this morning that I get you when, they, when they're brothers and sisters, we absolutely are part of the same, I, I think I have to push you a little bit yet this morning and say we ought to be very careful what we think of people who are still yet unsaved because Jesus bled and died for them just like he did for you. In some aspect the firm foundation that God has given to us to stand against the schemes of the devil in that area specifically is to reject Satan's lies that say those people are so awful that you could not ever find anything redeemable about them. And we say, Jesus tore down the wall of hostility. They are able to be saved. The gospel reaches them. And I am an ambassador of peace. I am one who is making a, a plea with God on his behalf that they be reconciled to God. Remember the verse, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, end of chapter 6. Remember the verse we talked about last week. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's right packed around all those verses that Paul is making that appeal to say we are Christ's ambassadors. We work with him, making an appeal to those who are yet unsaved that peace is made possible for them too. Well, to summarize or to put together or to just block together here, I just want to say again, the readiness or the firm foundation that you and I have to stand on is the fact that we are made right with God. We are joined with God. We are at peace with God. This, by the way, I can't, I was telling some people this week, I think we were at Jeff and Roxy's house, and I think I was talking to Roxy and Autumn, I forget who else, I think those are the two that were standing there, and I was saying that, like, that, you know, Sunday mornings, it's impossible for me to go into every nuance or to give every situation, to give every application. It's not possible. I actually think it's better that way, by the way. You know why? Because I think it behooves us as a congregation, it behooves you as congregants to actually spend time with the Holy Spirit and asking him to apply the word that's being taught in your life. If I were to try to nail out every single thing, I would surely missed one, which would be surely one of the ways that Jesus wants you to apply it. So when I give you what I think are a couple of options and help you to think about what the text says and ask you to do some careful searching with the Holy Spirit, then I can trust that every application that needs to be made will be made. I can't cover them all. But I will tell you that it would be worth your and my time to spend significant time thinking about how every attack of Satan can be repelled or can be stood firm against by the simple truth that I am joined to God. Jesus is my peace. I think Paul saw it exactly that way. I think it's why Paul said, it doesn't matter if I die or if I stay here. If I die, better off for me. If I stay here, better off for you. It's why Jesus encourages uh, his followers to say, hey, don't worry about people that can do all kinds of bad things and say all kinds of nasty things and they can hurt you. They can even kill you. Don't worry about them. They can't touch your soul. If your soul is at peace with God, I hate to use this phrase because I know I'm not so good at it all the time, but if your soul is at peace with God, guess what? It makes you bulletproof. Do it to me what you want. It doesn't matter because I'm at peace with God. I'm joined to God. I'm his. You can't separate me. Nothing can separate us. Right? That's scripture. Nothing can separate us. That is the firm foundation you and I have. It's the only firm foundation you and I are ever going to get. Say what you want. Do what you want. Hurt me like you want. It does not matter. I am one with God. And I will refuse to think about this like this person or about this person or to get back at this person or to fill in the blank with a scenario because I'm one with them too. Because Jesus tore down the wall of hostility. He's made peace. How can I pick up arms again when he's made peace? That then means we have to do some thinking about what it means. How can we? How can we walk in that or how can we, I chose to use the word stand since that's the operative phrase for standing firm. How can we stand in the gospel of peace? Once again, this is not going to be exhaustive. This is going to be high level categories. I don't think it's going to be anything new that you have not heard before. No question, we must begin here. If you want to have any kind of firm footing in your fight against the enemy, you must have peace with God. All the things I just said about being untouchable and being bulletproof, it has to be true. You have to actually be joined to God. You understand it, right? You can't claim that you're untouchable. You can't claim that somebody can just do whatever they want to you and it won't matter if you don't actually have peace with God. 
it's a very bad place to be. Chris, you prayed this morning that anybody who's not right with God, who's never made that confession, or anybody who's backslidden and needs to, that's why you did that prayer, because this is the point, number one, that's of utmost importance. It's gonna tie back to righteousness that we talked about last week. It's gonna talk about being just, tie back to being justified, just like we talked about last week. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that was last week's message, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta start there. You actually don't have firm foundation. You have no firm footing if you're not at peace with God, right? You have no, you have no room to stand. You have no ground. You have, you have nothing with which to dig into because the ground's not there. It's shifting. Funny, did we sing that song this morning? I don't know if we did. We should have. We could have. All other ground is shifting sand, right? On Christ the solid rock. It's also, by the way, not just okay to say there's one moment where I must bring myself to the realization that God alone is, is perfect and pure and I'm a mess and I need him and I cry out to him and I'm justified by faith. I'm now at peace with God. That's a, that's a beginning point, but we have to stay there, right? We have to continually allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us because what the Holy Spirit does is to work in our life to point out those places where we have lost that oneness. We have lost that peace, where it has been stolen away from us, oftentimes, most times, by our own sinfulness. Let's just make sure that's clear. Most times when we are no longer at peace with God, it is not because of what they are doing out there. Hear me, church, because that's what we love to blame it on. Well, that person's just being a burr under my saddle. So I, no, no, no. When we lose peace, it's because our heart has moved away from God. which is why we need to have an attitude of what the psalmist had. These are verses, words we should all be so familiar with. These are words that should come out of us on a regular basis. Search me, O oh God. Search me. Know my heart, right? Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts, what I'm thinking. See if there's any grievous way, if any wicked way inside of me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm telling you, our unwillingness to allow the Holy Spirit to work God's righteousness in us is us willingly trading away firm footing to stand against the enemy. You can't separate those two because the gospel of peace is the readiness we have that we can put on and if we aren't at peace with God, we don't have, that, we don't have the readiness. It isn't there. Now, I want to just expand this because I think this is probably pretty well received. I don't think there's anybody that probably disagrees with anything I've said. And you probably won't disagree with the next one either, but I think it's, it's, it needs to be expanded because I think not only do we need to have peace with God, be, be joined to God, I think it's important to state that we should have peace with God's ways because this is arguably the place that we fall down more than anything else. I would tell you it's arguably the place where Adam and Eve at the very beginning fell down when they no longer became okay with how God was doing things, when they began to realize, you know what? It doesn't seem that fair that God is the only one who knows and gets to decide what's right and wrong. That doesn't seem that fair to me. I'm not okay with what God is doing or how God is doing it. Maybe I should eat of this fruit so that I can become like him. You see, 
growing up in church and going to church and being, being well attended at church and well versed in church, most of us get the doctrine of justification. We understand that, that Jesus made that substitutionary atonement. Hopefully we've understood that. We receive it. We say, I'm right with God. We even can stretch ourselves to say we understand it's an ongoing process. It's called sanctification, an ongoing process of the Holy Spirit shaping us. What trips us up is that lots of times God doesn't do things the way we think he should. Right? It doesn't always work out like we think it should work out. And a lot of times, our peace with God is broken because we are not okay with his ways. Listen, you go back in the Old Testament and you read from this obscure book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk Chapter 3, verse 17, he ends, he ends, he ends with this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's pretty much called nothing is going the way it should be going, right? And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And look what he says. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes, oh, what does he say? He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He gives me a solid place to stand. He gives me firm footing. So that when all those things happen, that it all seems like nothing is going right. And everything is just not working like it should, that I stand on the fact against the schemes of the enemy who says, deny God, give up, get mad at him, get back at those people, take it into matters in your own hands. You have a right to be unhappy. You have a right to be mad. You have a right to be selfish. All the things that he comes at us, we say, no, I am firmly grounded at peace with God. And I mean at peace with his ways, that he has chosen this lot for me, that he's chosen this path for me, that he's chosen the bends and the upstills, the uphills and the downhills and the rocky places and the thorns and all the things that hurt. But I'm okay with that because I'm okay with God and I'm one with him. Until we get to that place, our peace is stolen, and when our peace, maybe I shouldn't say stolen, it's given away, and when our peace is given away, we lose the readiness that comes, the firm foundation, the footing, the establishment that comes from that peace. I think in a very large part, it's exactly what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 27, when he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, because the world gives peace that says all the conflict has gone away. You have smooth sailing, that's why you're at peace. Jesus doesn't give peace like that. He says, I give peace to you that allows you to be one with me no matter what's happening around you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Do you know this peace? Do you have this peace? I'm telling you, it's the only firm footing you will have against the schemes of the enemy is to stand in the Prince of Peace and say, I belong to Jesus, come what may.
gets really hard, doesn't it? Please don't deny that it gets hard. Please don't pretend it's not hard. You're cutting off your only avenue for finding grace and solace in Jesus. Because you're telling him that it's not bad. You got this. And he says, fine, take care of it. No, do the other way. Go the other way and say, I can't do this, Jesus. I need you. I need my feet fitted with the shoes that come from the readiness of the gospel of peace. Somewhere along those lines, though we could stay with those two alone, I have to point out the fact that when the first two are true, I think the third one must be true. I don't think we have an option. I don't think it can go any other way. I think when the third one's not true, it's actually indicative of one of the first two not being true. Just so you know, that's my philosophy in life most times. If you're not at peace with others, I don't think you can, one of, either one or two is not, not happening. I've been amazed, and I want to be careful saying this because it might have been said by some of you to me at some point. I don't actually know. I don't keep track of these things. But I've been amazed at the number of times that someone who is blatantly not at peace with someone else, who is blatantly in sin, can look me in the eye and say, I am closer to God. I'm more at peace with God than I've ever been in my life. And I will tell you back, that is categorically not true. It cannot be. You might be more deceived than you've ever been. But it's categorically not true. You cannot be at peace with God and at peace with God's ways and be at odds with someone else. In fact, I suggest to us that if we're struggling with number three, which I'm going to give you some verses here, but if we're struggling with number three, then that tells us we probably actually should not, that the battle is not there with, num with number three, where we've got to figure out how to be at peace with each other. The battle is figuring out whether it's number two, we're not okay with how God is doing things, or number one, that we're not even okay with God. We're not even joined to God, actually. That's the problem. But, since I worked at it the other direction, because I think it's more important the other direction, let me just finish out the peace with others part. Second Peter, sorry, not Second Peter, First Peter chapter 3 says this. I chose to pick one example of how things might throw us off our track, may not, might not be at peace, might not be okay with the things that are happening around us in the area of suffering, especially being persecuted for our belief. In chapter uh, 3, verse 13, First Peter writes this, or the first uh, letter that Peter wrote says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But... Because it is true in some places, right? There are definitely people who are harming others if they're zealous for doing good. It does happen. It's happening in, with increasingly, increasing measure here in our country. It happens all over the world all the time. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Funny, that's just exactly what Jesus said, right? And he said we can do that when we have his peace. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I could have possibly summarized the entire message today with the verse that I have up on the screen. Because this verse is a demonstration of someone who's got on the readiness, the shoes that have the readiness that are provided by the gospel of peace. That when things come against that person, in this case, it's persecution. It's, it's suffering for righteousness' sake. It could be lots of things, by the way. It doesn't have to be that scenario, but it can be this scenario. In that case, this person is honoring Christ Jesus in their hearts. Notice it goes right back to the heart, right? 
I would tell you they have the breastplate of righteousness on. They're honoring Christ Jesus as Lord in their hearts, and they are prepared. Guess what? Guess what word that is? It's hetoimadzo. They are prepared to give an answer for the hope that they have. Well, what is the hope they have? What at a base, basic level is the hope that any of us have, that all of us, the only hope that we have? That's Jesus. It's that I'm one with him. You can do what you want. You can whip, you can scourge, you can threaten. But I have, I'm one with Jesus. Paul taught me to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They're prepared. They can give an answer for the hope they have. Yet they do it. That's, this is not point number three, right? Yet they do it with gentleness and respect because they understand that they're to be at peace with each other too. They don't get to say, they don't get to say, hey, I'm one with God, and I'm one with God's ways, so you go burn in hell. They don't get to say that, right? Because they realize that one and two have to mean something on three. They have to realize that if it's true that, one, that they're at peace with God and with God's ways, that they also, they, they have to see, they have to have compassion for those people. And you see it. Read, read, read your historical biographies. You see it over and over again. It's still happening today around the world, by the way. You see it over and over again where people have loved their captors, have prayed for their captors, have led their captors to the Lord because they honored Christ Jesus Lord and were prepared to make a defense for the hope that they had. They had the shoes of the gospel of peace on. They stood firm against the enemy and they did it with gentleness and respect. Earlier, Chris read a couple of lines to us and said we have no wiggle room, so I thought I'd just end today with a verse that gives us no wiggle room. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What are you gonna say to that? What kind of justification are you gonna give to say why you can be angry at someone, why you can have hatred in your heart, why you can wish ish will at someone else? That, That came out wrong. Wish ill at someone else. Why you can be unkind to them. Why you can use your position to leverage something that you know, it's, 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 that's not how it's supposed to be. How are you going to answer that? What justification do you give? When Scripture commands us as its followers, to, as far as it depends on us, we should live peaceably with everyone. I return to my question I asked a little bit ago as to whether you have that peace and invite you to make sure that you do as we pray today. God, thank you so much for the word this morning. Thank you for leading us in a text that illustrates to us both the bar that you have, the the place you want us to be, and for me, how far away I am from it in many cases. And I I, unashamedly cry out to you and call out to you this morning, God, that I am so far away that I have no hope unless Jesus comes and does something in me. Thank you that you have sent him exactly for that purpose. Thank you that the Holy Spirit came when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came, and this is exactly what he does. He reminds us, he reminds us that when we walk into sticky situations, when things aren't going the way that they're supposed to be going, he reminds us that we are one with you when we're justified. And this morning, God, if there's anyone here, as Chris already alluded to it and prayed about it, I wanna just pray for it as well. If there's anyone here this morning that does not know the peace that comes from being right with you, from being justified, I pray that this would be the moment that their heart yields, that their mouth confesses, that their heart believes that you, Jesus, came and took their place so that they might not have to suffer 
eternity away from you, punished for their sins, but that those sins have been forgiven. I pray that you would give them the the ability to, to pray that prayer even right now, to come find me, to come find someone afterwards, but not to leave this place until it's been taken care of. And I pray that as we realize the ongoing need for us to be at peace with you, that there's some, anything that's come to mind this morning as, we are, as we're together as the body of Christ, if there's anything that has come to mind for us that, that your Holy Spirit has tapped on our, our heart and said, or on our brain and said, you are not at peace with me. You're not joined to me in this, in this regard. I pray that you'd give us just a soft, soft heart, a, 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 a neck that's yielded to you, not hardened against you to say, oh God, forgive me even now, that we would cry out for your forgiveness, that we would repent of those ways and turn away from them. We give you free access. Search us, God. Try us. And perhaps the thing that we are being prompted on this morning is the very fact that deep down inside in our selfish, self-focused hearts, we're not always okay with how you do things. We may be very subtly, but nonetheless, we're doing it where we are saying, God, we know better than you do. We would choose a different way. Or we may be just wanting to protect ourselves enough to say, God, I'm not willing to walk into this suffering. And I pray that in this moment when we are gathered together this morning with the presence of Jesus Christ here, Jesus, would you just remind us of the great suffering that you went through for our sakes? That you did not turn to your God and say, oh, Father, this is too much. I can't do this. That you surrendered your will. You said, this is hard, but not what I want, what you want, Father. Give us the grace. Oh, it's so hard, God. It's so hard to do that. You know that. You know our weakness. But in our weakness, you said you delight in that because then you can be made strong in us. So give us the grace this morning, again, just to just to whisper, that's all we can get out. If that's all we can, just to whisper or to say it out loud or to, or to just determine, just to say, God, I'm okay with your ways. I want your path in my life. I want your will to be done in me, not what I want, what you want, God. This is the step of faith that we are taking. And then, of course, Father, we must end where the message ended, which is to say that if we have been made aware of something this morning that we have against someone else, certainly a brother or sister, but maybe anyone that is of your creation, another person created in your likeness that Jesus died for, if we are at odds, if there's anything that we have not laid down, now maybe it doesn't mean that we have to be reconciled because that requires something else, but certainly in our part, it means that we need to forgive that we want to be willing to lay down and say, God, don't hold this against them. That we want love to cover a multitude of sins, as it, your word says it does. Give us the grace this morning to do that. And I say all of these things, I, I walk through this prayer all the way, God, just so that we can get to the place where we can acknowledge that Paul said, when we are in that place of being joined to you, having confessed every known sin, Uh, being okay, having surrendered to your will in our lives and being at peace with our brothers and sisters and our uh, fellow human beings as much as to our ability as, as, as possible. It's at that moment that we can now say, I am prepared, I am ready, I have a firm footing in the gospel of peace that I can stand against the schemes of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our peace.
hide ourselves in you. In Jesus' name.